Good morning, everybody on YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, Kick, and X. You might be hearing us on one of our podcast um, apps that we use. And if you wanted to see us live and in the webcam, you can catch us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, Kick, and X. We do have a text line that we want you to text us at. It is 833-262. 6431 if you have any disagreements or you want to chime in on the on the stream um we if you comment anywhere on our, our streaming apps i also can chat with you here so make sure to chime in if you have anything you want to say or if you want to discuss anything give us something to talk about while we're streaming other than that um again we text us at 833-262-6431 also, we are going to be doing an Apostles Attic t-shirt giveaway, so subscribe and comment and like one of our YouTube videos, and it'll enter you into the, um, the giveaway. If you comment that you would like to be in the giveaway, that would also help be helpful as well, and um, we can start coordinating a design or something cool for you. All right, and going to go ahead and roll... Oh, wait. <laughs> I'm Austin, <laughs> and... Um, you can find my stuff here on Faithful Dialogues. I do a Christian clothing line. Uh, it's Apostles Attic, as I was mentioning. And I also have a, a YouTube channel I'm trying to get rolling. It is um, MHTY Official on YouTube. And I do some video game stuff and some Christian content, I'm trying to meld the two together. And I'm here with my buddy Ryan. Hey, everybody. My name is Ryan. And you can find my personal stuff over at AIIW.org. Uh, that's been rocking and rolling recently, lots of action, been making a lot of little videos, and especially some little updates on what's been going on with the horrible Israel war, uh, so keep, uh, join me over there. Um, but yeah, so thanks for joining us here for some Faithful Dialogues, uh, that's the name of the game here, and uh, yeah, so how are you doing this week, Austin? I'm doing pretty good, I got a, a bunch of exciting stuff uh, as far as... Um, I had some good things, um, as far as like my car goes, I had, I got approved for, uh, some stuff that's going to help me get my car fixed. And then, um, I also have like a schooling thing coming up where I'm going to be, um, just working towards, um, being an apprentice for, um, the job that my brother is opening up a door for me. And, um, basically just trying to get into a career, you know what I mean? Awesome. Well, praise God that uh, he's that things are starting to turn around a little bit and get a little bit uh, easier there for you. I know you've been struggling with uh, with moving and everything else that's been going on. So uh, glad that's starting to look a little bit better there. What a wonderful answer to prayer. Yeah, I've been doing lots of prayer, lots of leaning on the Lord, and um, I, I'm very confident that this trial that I've been in lately has um, been something that the Lord has been using to draw us closer to each other or me closer to him you know what i mean because i've just been praying more than ever in my life because of what's been going on and just having to be more faithful than ever that he's going to come through because if god doesn't come through it's just not going to happen do you know, do you know what i mean yep so. yep 
Well, that's, what about uh, you? Yeah, everything's going pretty well. Uh, just plugging away. My sister's getting married this Sunday, so congratulations to her and her future husband. That's going to be pretty exciting. So, lots of you know, lots of stuff going on and things to get done, but uh, it's all good. And uh, yeah, just been uh, following what's been going on with the war over in Israel, and we'll get into that I think after we do some of our Bible reading. So stay tuned for that. Uh, do we have any updates on uh, Kevin and his mom? Yes, very unfortunate. I, I just heard last night that his mother uh, ended up passing away. Uh, so no. just lots of, uh, yeah, it's tough. Lots of lots of prayers for, for him and his family. And um, unfortunately, we can't pray for the dead. Uh, that's whatever's happened there has already happened. And I hope it sounds like she was a Catholic. So there's a possibility that she was saved and that she knew the truth. So praise God for that, and we'll uh, leave everything else there up to him. And uh, yeah, just keep Kevin in your prayers and, and help him to, uh, you know, hopefully God helps him to see who he is through all of this. Has he reached out to you again? Other than to tell me that his mom passed, no, and unfortunately not. Dang, I would just uh, stay in communication with him and just preach the gospel to him, brother. That's not yeah. all you can do, right? That's the best, That's the most anybody can do. So we'll uh, we'll see. I don't know if I'll have any more updates or not. But uh, yeah, just keep them in your prayers. Yeah, our condolences go out to Kevin. That's really unfortunate. Definitely. I and I know the pain. I I lost my father uh, about ten years ago now. So you know, it's it's not something that you want to go through. And yeah, it, it's got to be extra tough. You know, not having faith yourself. Yeah. Well, all right. Um, let's see. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and get into the gospel message. All right, so the gospel, guys, is the good news that Jesus, or that the Messiah has come, and that God has done something about our sins so that we can be forgiven and have a hope in heaven. And um, God in the Old Testament, when mankind fell, um, he he promised that he was going to send a suffering savior to redeem um, the the world of their sin and and fix everything that's going going to happen and um, so he sends his suffering savior and that ends up being Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He shows up in the New Testament and um, essentially the good news is that God sent his only begotten Son that whoever should believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, in his death, burial, and resurrection, he did. He did. Um, was born of the Virgin Mary. He lived the perfect life, and he laid his life down willingly on a Roman cross so that his blood would be a sacrifice on our behalf um, to wipe away our sins if we actually believe in Jesus Christ and everything that we've ever done would be forgiven by uh, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So if you believe in his death, his burial, and his resurrection, because on uh, he he died and was um, um, dead for three days, and um, I'm not very clear on what was happening during those three days. Uh, there's some verses that say he, um, you know, went down and preached to the formerly disobedient spirits, and there's different stuff like that, but. Uh, on the third day on Easter, he was resurrected by the Father, and that lets us know that uh, Jesus' life and sacrifice was accepted by God. And so, again, if we put our 
faith in Jesus Christ and his life and his um, death and burial and resurrection, then we have a promise from a holy God that we will have eternal life and essentially your soul is eternal and it will last forever. Your flesh will not last forever, but your soul does. And so what determines where your your soul spends its eternity will either be your is going to be your your decision here on earth to put your faith in Jesus Christ. So if you don't, you will be in the absence of God, which is hell. If you do put your faith in Jesus Christ, um, you will be in the presence of God, which is heaven. And so if you want to learn more about it, um, we definitely cover stuff on this this um, podcast, but I would encourage everybody um, right in the middle of the Bible where the Old Testament starts. You've got the, the, the four Gospels, the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and it is a testimony of Jesus while he was here on earth. And so if you read it and go through it, you can decide for yourself if that is something that you believe in. But it, it is true. I, I, <laughs> I became a Christian at 25, and so I'm... Uh, I'm I'm here to tell you that I believe in it. It's it's very it's uh, it's easy for me to believe rather than like the Big Bang and evolution that there is a Creator God. And um, so again, if you go and read the testimonies in the, um, the the Gospels in the New Testament, you can take your faith into your own hands and decide for yourself what you believe in. And so, yeah. And Amen. Then, um, again, put your faith in Jesus Christ. You go to heaven forever. Yep. <laughs> and. Uh, Ryan also yeah. has a message for us. So uh, once you've become a believer in Christ, once you put your faith in him, you are now a priest. You're also a king, according to Revelation 1.6, uh, but you're a priest as well. And that gives you certain uh, responsibilities to go out and minister to your community, which brings me and Austin here, hopefully to minister to you. But uh, as a Christian, it's also your job to find out what your place is and go minister to those around you, whether it's in your church uh, everyone should be going out and sharing their their faith and their and the gospel somehow, uh, whether that's online or out in a street corner or just uh, to your friends and family at the Thanksgiving dinner that's coming up. Uh, it's our responsibility to go out and to share the gospel with those uh, that are around us. So hopefully you take up that responsibility and start uh, start doing what God wants you to be doing, whatever that is. Yeah, and then one of the things I kind of wanted to, up to you, kind of mention um, on every podcast is um, essentially the kingdom of God is at hand and there's nothing there's nothing in the way f- between now and Jesus coming back. Is that correct? So the, there is one thing that we are waiting for in order for Jesus Christ to return, and that's going to be the fullness of the Gentiles ah. to become in. And so what that means is it's a fancy way of saying that there's a specific number of Christians that will ever exist. And once that number hits, uh, that st- sets off everything that we see in uh, Revelation and in all the end times uh, prophecies. So that is my understanding. Uh, if you have a different understanding, please write into us and, and let us know what that understanding is. And uh, we'll look into it and we'll give you a response if you, uh, if you actually take the time to write us. <laughs> So, so our our definite goal here on the, on the podcast is to help um, bring that along. We hope that, man, it'd be so nice if somebody tuned in and came to faith and then we just got raptured right here on stream. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. Really? You, anybody who hasn't come to faith, if you do, you could be the, the last one. So uh, make sure you get in while supplies last. Uh, no, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's, an, there's an infinite supply 
but there is a finite number of people who will be saved. So that uh, and I guess and, that's because God had foreknowledge of that and like who was gonna come to faith or something like that. So the way that I believe, and this is not the way that everybody believes, so I just want to preface that that way. A lot of people don't. Uh, but my understanding is that God foreknew everyone who would be saved and then predestined them to certain things. So my belief is that the only way that... So there's a whole chain of events that happen, and it starts with uh, who God foreknew, them he predestined, okay? I believe is roughly how it goes. And so in order for God to... What, what is God foreknowing in that verse, right? And my my belief is he was foreknowing what we would choose, how our heart would respond to God's call when he called us. And so that that's my belief. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, I believe that that God foreknew us and then he predestined us to be saved. So hopefully that answers your nice. question. Yeah. And so, uh, again, essentially, we um, were it said in the last days that the gospel would be preached to everyone on all the mm -hmm. earth and then and then Jesus would come back. And so we're getting to that point now. Where yep. with just a podcast, we can preach the gospel to anyone that has access to the internet, which is pretty much the whole world at this point, you know? Yep, so. yep. And uh, basically, and you can get internet access anywhere on the globe today for $150 a month <laughs> uh, through uh, Starlink. Oh, Starlink, yeah. So mm -hmm. you can be in the middle of nowhere. That's crazy. Yeah, you can be in... in there are certain areas that have better and worse coverage, but they're launching new satellites all the time and they'll have full North South, the whole deal, they'll have full coverage pretty soon. That's a, that's satellite internet. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and it's different than previous satellite internet. Cause originally they had to sit these satellites out at uh giant geosynchronous orbits where, and what that would do is it would mean that your latency was really, really bad because it had to travel a farther distance these satellites are like they're only up as high as you know roughly the international space station and so uh they're only a couple hundred miles up where the geosynchronous orbits are like a thousand or something i don't know it's a, it's a much bigger distance out than uh than where the where musk's satellites are okay so yeah that's uh again that's why we're doing this we're trying mm -hmm. to spread the gospel to as many people as will hear and hopefully the fullness of the gentiles comes very soon and that yeah. that kind of segues us into what's kind of going on with israel um yeah sorry i just i want to start off with something a little bit that we didn't talk about if you don't mind sure uh but uh one thing that i've been seeing reports of in my feed as i'm researching uh, everything that's been going on with the uh, israel war with hamas um so I've been seeing that there's this uh, false messiah that might be popping up. Uh, what? There's a Twitter account that's saying that there's this guy who's already met more of the requirements to be messiah than Jesus of Nazareth. Complete lie. Don't want to get that twisted. Jesus Christ is the son of God. He is the messiah, the Mashiach Nagid, all of that. But there are going to be reports, especially coming into the end times, of a lot of different false Christs, false messiahs, especially coming out of Israel. And so I just want everybody to be aware of that. where he's coming out of? Yeah. So, Israel? I, I believe he's in Israel at the moment. I, I mean, obviously they could physically be anywhere in the world, but you're going to see it 
coming from Jews and, and especially from Israel uh, as they look think, for their, yeah. I think I've seen videos of this guy where, like, people are bringing their kids to him and stuff like that. Uh, I don't know if I've seen that specific video, but it's, you know, this Jewish Orthodox guy with, you know, the uh, the whole getup. Yeah, if Is I had the video. a younger dude or an older dude? Uh, I don't I don't know. I don't remember, sorry. But just be aware of false Christs. There's going to be a lot of people claiming that they meet the requirements or, you know, a bunch of crazy stuff like that. So just keep your heads up. Again, Jesus Christ is the only Messiah. There's only one, uh, contrary to what the rabbinic Jews teach. So there's going to be two. Uh, there's only one, and he already came, and he's going to come back. That's why they think there's going to be two is... That uh, person, that one person was described so differently between the first and second comings that it almost seems like a completely different person. Jesus came the first time as the suffering servant who died for the remission of our sins. And the second time he's going to come back as the savior of the world who is going to cleanse the world of all the unrighteousness. And he's going to rule as an actual king for a thousand years. And so I, I believe that Austin and I are both uh, pre-millennial and uh, pre-tribulation. I don't know if you have a formed eschatology. At least that's what I believe. Um, as far as far as a formed eschatology, it's weird because there's Bible verses that say pre, and there's Bible verses that say post, and then it's I, I don't know. It's crazy. You can form different opinions from different so, Bible verses. So there's no Bible verse that says post. So the 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 post and amillennial views, there is no direct Bible verse that says that that the thousand-year reign has already started. So that that's what they believe. So uh, oh. someone who believes in post-millennialism or amillennialism, they basically either believe that the thousand-year reign is a like spiritual metaphor, or in the, the specifics of post-millennialism, they believe that the millennial reign of Jesus started in 70 AD with the destruction of the temple. So they would they would argue that those prophecies being fulfilled the they would say that at that point the abomination of desolation all that stuff took place which unfor uh, you know not unfortunately but that it just doesn't fit. In my opinion none of what they claim makes any sense at all and it also leads to some really weird like heresies. Uh, and I don't know if it's a full heresy or not but like you know, the people that, that go post-mill also tend to believe in baptizing your babies and a bunch of other weird stuff like that that I don't agree with. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the churches that I go to are, um, are uh, like, pre-trib and stuff like that, so I would, I would say the same. Um, Chuck Missler had a funny, like, comment on that. It was, like, something like, uh, let me beat you up real quick, and then let's go get married or something like that. I can't remember exactly what he said, but yeah. But. Well, and and just it's not what God has shown us in in, and especially in Jewish prophecy, the way that they understand what's going to happen with God's will is that it happens kind of in. There's multiple different fulfillments of it, and so you kind of see fulfillments of it early, and then ultimately at the end of time, it's going to be fulfilled. And so what I mean by that is. It, we see a few different groups that have already been raptured, two specifically. So one, or sorry, yeah, uh, so there's already been a, a person who's been raptured. And so we see that in the person of Enoch. So before the flood, uh, there was a man who walked with God and then was not. 
And that's basically the entirety of the text that we have explaining what happened with Enoch. But what we basically understand is that he got raptured out of the horrible environment uh, pre-flood with all the sin and, and everything that was going on. He got taken out of that. And then at some point after that happened, there's the flood that wipes everybody out. And so I think that's kind of a picture of what's going to happen to the church. The church is going to get taken out before the destruction comes, before the wrath is meted out. Because why would God want to meet his wrath out on his own people? That doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, and I think I think I've been hearing or uh, or even seeing stuff in the Bible where it said like, um, once once the rapture happens, that's what kicks off the tribulation, right? That uh, it, it, if it was that clear, then there wouldn't be an argument. But yes, that is my understanding as well. Is that it? It does it does give us the that information, just not that directly, unfortunately. Oh, uh, okay. Um, but yeah, so there, you know, it, it, there, there's different Bible verses that talk about people getting taken, uh, all times of day, all times of night, uh, which actually leads to a scientific principle that we live on a, a spherical world. Uh, so where it's sunny over here and nighttime over there. And... Exactly. Uh, and so, you know, it talks about one person in the field being taken and the other being left behind another person. Uh, getting water gets taken and the other person gets left behind. So we're, we're ta it's talking about something that people were not expecting. And my belief is that if we were already in a tribulation time period, we would be expecting to get taken at any moment. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you better just... hope your pilot's not a believer. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So... You know, uh, exactly. And so, like, in the Left Behind, like, movies and stuff, have you ever heard of that that series? Um, no. So it was a really big series when I was a kid. There was a kid's version and then the adult version. And I think they actually ended up making some pretty low-budget movies from them. And in the movie, you see the, you know, the planes are just dropping out of the sky because of how many Christians were piloting the planes. It was, it was, it was a, a, a kind of hokey take on, uh, the uh, the rapture and the end times from the late nineties. Hmm. Um, would yeah, not no, recommend. That's... Would not recommend checking them out. They they aren't the best <laughs> as far as uh, their biblical accuracy, from my understanding, these days. But yeah, I um, man, I I've I've been praying a lot for um, the Father to sweep up His bride in glory and just which is us, the church, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm just. Yep. Uh, uh man, I despite all the stuff that's kind of getting better with my life and a career prospects and just fixing up problems and getting out on my own and stuff like that, I'd give it all up in the middle of everything just to just to be with God, man. I I desire to depart and be with Christ is uh, <laughs> what Amen. Paul said, right? Well, and you know, he also said to live as Christ and and to die as gain, right? So we we want to go be with our our savior, we want to be with our Lord. We want to do it the right way, of course. Uh, the wrong way would be to do anything that would harm yourself or end your own life. That's obviously completely against what Christianity teaches. But uh, the right way to go about it, you know, when we when we pass, when God wants us to, or uh, if we're lucky enough to be part of the generation that gets raptured, that's that's what we hope for and that's what we pray for. You know, the what's commonly described as the Lord's Prayer, even though He couldn't pray it, um, 
it, you know, it starts off with our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about the end times. We're talking about uh, the rapture and all that other stuff having to happen before his kingdom can come and fully take over here on earth. You know? Yeah. And um, that's, that's kind of like, again, you know, the kingdom of God is at hand and we got to repent and call on the Lord for forgiveness. And that's, uh, that's what needs to happen, right? We need to turn away from our sin and put our faith in Jesus Christ so that we can enter into the kingdom either when we die or if he comes first. And that's, again, why we should all put our faith in Jesus Christ. <laughs> Amen. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been really interesting just seeing all the people that have come, been coming to Christ recently. Uh, it's lots been a of, lot. Uh, recently, you know, the guy who invented podcasting and one of my favorite podcasters, Adam Curry, came to Christ. There, uh, Joe Rogan's been having some actual real Christians on his podcast. I think he's significantly more open to it than he ever has been. I'm not saying he is a Christian, but uh, he's getting closer. Uh, I don't know if you... I, I, I never watched any of her stuff, but I've heard the name. Uh, Kat Von D did a lot of, like, tattoo stuff. I think she was part of a TV show uh, involving tattooing or something. And a lot yeah. of, like, dark and demonic images. Uh, she just came to Christ. And wow. uh, gave gave her life over to God. Got a bunch of her tattoos covered up, and so that what? that was like a year ago. That's crazy. Yeah, and so she was doing a whole bunch of like really dark and like maybe not. I don't know if it was demonic necessarily, but just dark imagery, and and that was kind of her shtick. And I think yeah. what my understanding is that she you know saw a lot of how, a lot of that darkness and didn't want that darkness in her life anymore. And you know Jesus Christ comes in and and kind of refocuses what you're what you find to be beautiful and and what you find to be lovely in this world so you know it's a, it's a, it's incredible who god can save and it's anybody anybody that comes to him with a repentant heart repents of their sins believes that he rose from the dead professes with their mouth that he's their king you know he's going to save you and he's going to uh, radically change your life and and give you a whole new set of desires that you never thought you'd have <laughs> Yeah, a new heart if that's that thirsts and seeks after righteousness. It's totally true. Yeah. Amen. So It'll make you uncomfortable with your old life and your old sin. Uh and and kind of to get around to a point <laughs> finally. But my my point in saying all that is uh, I think that God uses the horrible tragedies, the darkness in this world to point out the fact that there must be an opposite to that that despite all this evil, all this horrible stuff if there's so much evil, there must be also a source of good. You can't have one without the other, right? And so that's that's what I keep hearing from a lot of people is that the horrible, obvious evil in the world kind of leads them to believe that there must be something good and righteous, and that good righteousness is God and, and his son Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he made on the cross so that we could be saved. So I just pray yeah. that more people come to that understanding and that knowledge and... You know, as Christians, we need to go out and talk about the hope that we have despite these horrible events like, you know, the babies and the infants that might have been murdered in Israel and the the 1,200 people that have been just horribly abused by Hamas and, and ultimately a lot of them have been murdered. It's just, it's terrible. You know, there's there's so much evil in this world, it's easy to get swept up in that and forget that there's a God, but there's also a lot of people that... Uh, get shown God through that. So we just need to be praying for them. Yeah, that's um, 
that's crazy we gotta we gotta get into that um all that israel stuff i'm i'm curious what you know because i live under a rock and <laughs> i don't i don't know anything i mean i've heard stuff on i listen to a lot of k-wave that's pretty much like the only stuff i listen to out like you know when i'm out and about and doing my own stuff i just try to listen to as many sermons as i can to just I don't know. F- filling my mind with that stuff has been uh, a huge blessing. I really like K-Wave. I don't know if Amen. you listen to it, but <laughs> I I will not re- listen to radio. Uh, it's just a I can't stand commercials and everything else. So, oh. uh, and, and I would much rather be the director of my own <laughs> listening experience. So I just put whatever on my phone. That's why I love podcasts. <laughs> yeah, podcasts are cool. But uh, is yeah. there um are there do you have any like christian podcasts that you listen to um yeah so i listen there's a uh, bible thinker podcast so that's mike winger's outfit you can find oh. all his stuff over at biblethinker.org uh so there's that let me see well i'm not I'm not i'm kind of blanking on it. i listen to a lot of like news stuff personally uh but yeah so that's that's one i would recommend just off the top of my head uh, yeah, Mike Mike Winger's a good pastor. I've I've been wanting to attend his church once and to see what that's like. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know it's a, it's a smaller church, so it's not exactly designed for people to go do a bunch of like tourism there the way that uh, like John MacArthur's church would be. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it'd be cool to go down there, and I think it's over in Bellflower at least if he's still at the same one. Jeez, if it's that small, it's probably really easy just to meet him after a service and shake his hand and say hi <laughs> probably probably not but uh but yeah so uh we're gonna get into some bible reading right now is that where we're at yes and um i think did were we in fact starting proverbs four or proverbs uh, five we're finishing <clears throat> up proverbs four uh we're gonna do 20 through 27 and okay. uh john we're gonna start john six we did finish that up okay so let's head on over there and uh where, where are we starting uh proverbs or john let's do proverbs first and did you want to read that or do you want me to um i can read it okay all right let's go ahead and get started so we are reading out of the esv translation and this is proverbs chapter 4 verse 20 my son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance for from it. Uh, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flows the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look for let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you ponder the path of your feet then all your ways will be sure do not swerve to the right or the left turn your foot away from evil and that is proverbs chapter 4 verse 20 through 27 amen so i really know it's uh it's been uh really convicting me lately to to make sure like um, in Proverbs 4:24 put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you um I, may, I would just advise people um don't don't talk about pe- like don't gossip don't talk about people behind their backs and uh and try to <laughs> be better with your words and stuff like that it's been it's been really put on my heart it's got a 
at some point it's i i think it if you're a believer it, it i think it grieves the holy spirit when we sin and stuff like that so if, if you're over here you know talking about people behind their backs and using profanity and stuff like that that's got to bother god you know so i uh mm -hmm. it's uh it's been put on my heart to to really clean up my um to clean up my speech and of course it's it's a little bit hard because you know i've been a christian for like three years and i've been not a christian for 25 so it's it's still a process but um one of the things uh, besides that like i was saying is um just to try not to speak evil about people and especially when they're not around like you know if you have a problem with somebody it's it's you know you can respectfully bring it to their attention and stuff like that but yeah um yeah me like i've, I've just really felt the lord kind of pushing on me where i shouldn't t talk about people like like when something bothers me and i'm like talking to my wife about it um sometimes i'll i'll get kind of like um i'll say some rude stuff and i don't necessarily mean to or i'll correct myself after the fact but um, i just realize when i when i talk about people that i'm upset with behind behind their back if i do it in like a rude way it's it's definitely not like a good thing so I, <laughs> that's all i would say yeah definitely and that that's something that we all need to work on with the and and i think that's why it, the the uh verse before that was you know keep your heart with all vigilance for from from it flow the springs of life and so it's you know it, it's interesting how true that is right so the your physical heart actually the springs of life flow from it like all your blood gets pumped around your body because of it right um but it, what it's talking about is it's it's what it's saying is that keep that place that you know is where all of your it's saying to make sure that you guard your thoughts and your mind and keep it from unrighteous things you know anything that that would include the speech that it then specifically talks about but also you know any kind of thoughts or or ideas that creep into your head you can't let those take hold or take captive of you right we're supposed to, you know, give that up and, and put that burden over on God and let him deal with that kind of stuff. So it's just about getting a little bit better. And and, and that's something that every Christian's always going to struggle with. There's nobody that, that perfectly uh, keeps their heart with all vigilance. Uh, that's not something that we're capable of. And that's why we're supposed to give that over to God and let him be the one that ultimately looks after us and, and looks after our heart. But we also need to be that first line of defense reading our Bible every day, doing the things that we need to do to fill our minds with godly things and with the things that God wants us to be thinking about rather than the things that the world will get us to think about. Yeah, definitely. All right. And uh, that will conclude our, our Proverbs reading. And we ready to go on into John. Mm -hmm. And I can read that. Uh, where did we want to end with John? Uh, we're starting chapter starting chapter six we'll go through uh, maybe 15 if that's not too much yeah that's fine okay and so john chapter six after this jesus went away to the other side of the sea of galilee which is the sea of tiberius and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread, so that these people may eat? 
He said this to, the, to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about five thousand in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Ooh, man, this is the, that's the first time I've read that since I've actually bed, been there. That was so weird. <laughs> so, like, I can actually picture the place on the Galilee where that all took place, supposedly. We, we're we not 100% sure, but we're, we're fairly confident that uh, we know where that was. Where that field was. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's right on the the Sea of Galilee. So you walk down, you can put your feet in the water, and then uh, unfortunately, so every single site that you would want to be just kind of like clean and pure, and hopefully just an open field where you can imagine fifteen thousand people kind of sitting down. So when it says five thousand men, uh, there's likely at least another five to ten thousand women and children. Um, so we believe that there were probably at least ten thousand people there. So just to Im- to imagine 10,000 people all sitting on a field, listening to Jesus, getting this, you know, they're getting literal, like, miracle bread. They're getting the bread of life from Jesus himself, but they're all in his words, but they're also getting actual, you know, bread that got multiplied uh, supernaturally. So it, it's just a, it, it would be an incredible place to see it just kind of as an open field. But anywhere that's worth anything in Israel, uh, some Catholic has come and put a, a giant uh, church on top of it. So, unfortunately, it'd that's... Be, it'd be nice if they just bought the land and, and made it like a tourist thing where you could just come and check stuff out. Yeah. Instead of worshipping at the the church of the field of the 5,000. Yeah, but Austin, you, you didn't, you don't, but Austin, of course we have to put a church over the rock that Jesus sat on. Of course you have to, you know, he, uh, he might have stood there. Of course there's got to be a church over that place. <laughs> uh, yeah. Sorry. So that, and, that um, but uh, yeah, it, it, it's just, it's totally different reading this and it being a real place in your brain rather than like a, because for me, I learned all these stories as a kid. So I, I had my Sunday school teachers teaching the story to me, you know, with uh, what they called flannel graph. And so that's like, basically flannel graph is, uh, it's like a PowerPoint for Sunday school teachers before they had computers. And what it is, is it's uh, felt. So, you know, the, the material felt, well, if yeah. you, you can stick that up on a board and it'll just stay there and hang there. And so you can make these scenes where they have a background scene of felt and then you would stick characters up onto it called flannel graph. And so they would tell these stories. So in my brain, all these stories are like cartoon, like flannel graph versions of, 
you know, and, until I actually went there and saw it as a, and now I can see it as a real place that I've actually put my feet on and I've stood in the grass there and it's, it's crazy. So what I'm, what, that's, that's interesting. Um, I, I don't even, I don't think I've ever seen flannel graph stuff, but I can kind of like, let me see if I can find talking it. About. Let me see if I can. Uh, can you see these images at all? But I'm yeah. Okay, so here I've got a would load. So this is just like a you can buy sets of flannel graph. Oh my gosh, that's oh, expensive. Wow. Yeah, so it's just like a there's a scene in the background and then a bunch of cut out be people that you can kind of move around. And so if Jesus is talking to somebody, you stick Jesus and that person up there and then you know, that person leaves, so you take them off and you put Mary up there for Jesus to talk to Mary or whatever. Okay. Okay. Um, I see how that would work. That's that's kind of cool. That's really expensive, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea it was still... I guess now it's probably kind of a, uh, like, collector's item almost. Not a whole lot of people yeah. making flannel graph anymore. But, uh, yeah. So, that's what I grew up with. So, that all the old stories, like... That's not exactly how it looks in my brain, but it's kind of more of a cartoon like idea of what's going on in the Bible. Cause that's where that's all the first time I heard, you know, the first time I heard all these stories was taught to me that way, basically. Yeah. And so what I, um, what I'm seeing here in verse 11, it says Jesus then took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed, but it's like lowercase he. So it's like he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish as much as they wanted. So it was so like, Go ahead. Uh, yeah, so th I think this translation, the ESV, does not capitalize every he in reference to Jesus, just FYI. Oh, okay, because I'm wondering, like, is, is that implying that Jesus went, was the one that went around and fed everybody? Uh, let's see. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So it, distributed could mean that he directly handed them to everybody, or it could mean that he gave it to his disciples who then distributed it. So that that word, you know, it, it's not physically saying he took the bread and stuck it in everybody's mouth like they would at communion for the Catholics. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's not what that word means. At least the one that the one that's translated is distributed. I don't know what the original like Greek word would be, but uh, distributed would leave open the ability for other disciples to have taken it and then further distributed it farther in the, in the catholic church do they just what do they do they the the priest literally puts it in their mouth or something I, I believe you go up and yeah the priest puts the the bread in your mouth and that and that comes from a worship of the communion stuff that is improper so they don't do a lot of a lot of catholic masses don't do wine at all they won't give you the wine for communion they'll do a single host communion where they just give you the bread and the priest puts it in your mouth because they believe that it actually is Jesus Christ's body. And so if you were to drop the bread, that would be disrespecting Jesus Christ's body. And so they don't trust you as a lay person to not drop Jesus Christ's body. And so they don't let you handle it except to directly have it in your mouth. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So... Uh, that's also the reason that they don't do 
uh, wine in all of their communions is it's much easier you might for spill the blood of Jesus. Exactly, you get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's that idolatrous, unfortunately. So, so where do we where do we so the Protestants have different um, takes on the Lord's Supper and like how, like so where do we stand as protestants or like yeah so, as far as how does that stuff works and goes so it's very clear when jesus gives us uh when he's talking to us about the bread that he's you know giving to us it's very clear that that's a spiritual thing and it's a, it's symbolic and if you also look at the the feast that it is given at so it's giving at, given at a special meal called passover do you know about that at all austin um, just the the Exodus and the blood on the doorposts and the, yeah mm -hmm. and the, yeah Exodus blood on the doorposts. Um, the angel will pass over and spare the children of Israel. Exactly, and so as part of that uh, feast that commemorates an actual event that took place in Egypt, uh, at, you know, at the beginning of the Exodus, so that that it is a meal that is eaten symbolically in remembrance of that, and so. Uh, what you'll see on a modern Jewish plate during Passover are like bitter herbs. And so they have these bitter herbs on their, their plate as part of their meal, not because they taste good, they're bitter herbs. They're there because they're a symbol of the suffering that the Jewish people went through during uh, their, their uh, I can't remember if it's during their suffering in Egypt or during the, the, uh, the desert the crossing. Yeah. But basically, the whole meal is a symbol of the things that the Jews went through during the Passover. And so during this highly symbolic meal, no one would say that the actual bitter herbs turn into the suffering of the Jewish people. There's not a single Jewish person that would say that. A Catholic wouldn't say that either. No one would say that in this meal during Passover that the bitter herbs literally turn into the suffering of the Jewish people. And so I say that very clearly and multiple times because that's the same exact meal that Jesus draws the bread and the wine from. So there's four different cups that are drank during the Passover meal. The third cup is the one that we get communion from. And so Jesus didn't actually complete that Passover meal. He drank the third cup. That was the, the last time he would drink wine here on this earth. And the next time will be when he's drinking the fourth cup with us, celebrating Passover in heaven, I believe. I could have gotten a few of those details slightly wrong, but I believe generally what I said was, was essentially the way that it works. And so when Jesus says that, when Jesus gives us communion, he's doing it at a, at a, at a meal that is entirely symbolic. No other part of the Jewish meal do the Jews believe that anything transforms into anything else? And so when Jesus gives us that uh, tradition at Passover, he's not giving it to us and then radically changing what everything means and saying that now all of a sudden in Christianity, uh, bread turns into flesh and wine turns into blood. No one's saying he never said that he never gave us a special incantation to do in order to effectuate that change. He didn't give us any of that stuff. It, it, it's all just symbols. Yeah, uh, I know, like, that the words that he uses and do this in remembrance of me. And so it's, 
that that's that's the word I, I hold on to from my belief that it's it's something we do to remember Jesus and what he is about to go through and stuff. Well, and, and now what he's already gone through, right? So we he's, yeah. he's not, that's another thing that the Catholics get wrong. God is, Jesus is not continually suffering. So if, if the communion bread and the communion wine are actually his body and his blood, Jesus Christ is in eternal torment and suffering because he's const, his body is constantly being destroyed and eaten, okay? So that's just it's just so completely wrong on so many levels it's it's really sad that people are are swayed by it unfortunately but but they are and i and i understand why they are i'm not saying that it's unthinkable that you would be tricked by this it, it makes a lot of sense especially if that's what you grew up with but it's so easy to refute right the the bible verse that jesus uh talks about drinking blood he says that it's spirit at the meal, it's a completely symbolic meal given, and and that cup is completely symbolic. So, yeah, it would just take a little bit of um, research on your own and some Bible reading of your own for you to have to, you know, uh, be able to see that. And especially if you're not in the Word, then somebody can tell you whatever they want. And so that's like that's why it's really important that I would encourage everybody to take an actual Bible and your faith into your own hands and read the read the scriptures and come to your you know just not come to your own conclusions but um we should all work out our faith with fear and trembling and so we we got to we 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 <laughs> We, we can't just rely on other men to tell us what the Bible means. Like, that's why God gave his word to everybody. And so it's, exactly. it's really important that you take your, your faith into your own hands and, and read his word on your own. And then if somebody were to suggest something or say something in church and you just read it, then you can be like, well, hold on here. It says <laughs> here in the word. And so that's, uh, again, the, like it's like the Bereans that would faithfully search the scriptures. And we're all called to be good Bereans that search the scriptures faithfully to to find out the truth and so that's what yep that's what i would encourage catholics to do is just read the bible and uh that bible verse that that austin just quoted is acts is acts seventeen eleven. So go check that out we all want to be good bereans like he was saying <laughs> acts seventeen eleven. okay all right and so that was our bible reading let me see if there's anything else um yeah, praise God for his word. So uh, just a little bit for those that might not know, Austin and I believe that the Bible uh, in its original manuscripts was the inerrant uh, uh, word of God that was given to God's prophets and uh, in the Old Testament and to the New Testament writers given directly by the Holy Spirit. And so we believe that the original manuscripts were 100% completely inerrant and that the manuscript and that the... Uh, texts that we have today while not being completely inerrant uh, we have such a plethora of fragments of them that we can be absolutely certain that we have every single word from those original perfect manuscripts so there might be a couple extra things that we've added in over time but we have at the very least everything that was in the original bible and so we can trust that and we can trust that god preserved it for us to be able to be taught and instructed by it today. So what do you mean, <clears throat> what are the original manuscripts? What do you mean by that? Uh, the paper that, uh, whatever the original author wrote it on. So originally, 
the Old Testament prophets, they would have been written down on uh, papyri on scrolls. I think that would have been made out of papyrus. Could be could be wrong about that, but they would have been written on scrolls, and so you'd have to kind of unscroll it to be able to read it. A very inefficient system. And then later on, uh, I'm not sure what the original manuscripts would have been written on, but very early on, the New Testament writings would have been transferred into books and would and were very early on put into books or codex codices is technically the original term. Okay. So you'll see like uh there's one I think there's one I don't know if this is real or or if it's a good translation or or what but there's like the codex alimentarius. Codex is just a fancy word for book. Okay. All right, and that was just a a quick clarification for people who mm -hmm. might not know and they're like what do you mean original manuscripts exactly so, like, I thought we have the bible <laughs> yes and so i believe we do have the bible uh it's just we have more than just the the bible there's been some uh things that have crept into some of the some of the texts that we can't confirm with older texts and so there's some things that are thought to be uh not in the bible that got included into it so I think that there's a part of Mark that in some Bibles is taken out and put as a footnote. So every Bible has all of the words that we think are contained in the Bible, but there's a couple, there's some of the newer versions where a couple of the verses, and I'm not talking about like a hundred verses, I'm talking about like two to five, uh, oh, okay. have been put as uh, asterisk, asterisks at the bottom of the page, uh, it's still in their entirety, so you still have it in case it is supposed to be incorporated. Uh, but once in a while, you'll see it go from, like, I can't remember. This is just random. This is not the real thing. But it'll go from, like, Mark 5.20, and it'll skip to Mark 5.22, and then 21 will be at the bottom of the page. So if you ever find that your Bible's missing a verse, uh, that's usually the case. That it was not found to be in texts that are older and so we took those translators took it out because it couldn't be corroborated. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Uh, yeah. And so it, it, it's funny. The, the older our versions of the Bible have newer texts that they drew from the newer Bibles that we have today are drawing from older texts. Okay. So, that doesn't sound like it makes sense, but it actually makes a lot of sense because back when they when they were translating the King James back in 1611, they didn't have access to as many of the books as we have access to today. Today, yeah. if somebody has a book in a library across the country, they can scan that and I can have access to that book here in, you know, the L.A. area. So but back when they were trans when they were translating the 1611 King James Bible, they only had access to these manuscripts that they had on hand. They only had access to the stuff that already existed in their local area. And so today we just have much more access to a lot more documents, which means that by definition, there's going to be some older documents that weren't included. And that's how we get some slight differences. And when, when I say slight, I mean, very slight, like we think that one verse got, copied from another gospel and stuck into a different gospel so it's all biblical anyway but it's just you're getting it twice those sorts of things and it's like oh, okay. between two to five areas 
where there's any controversy at all. And so we so have it's not like the new whole... information. It's just like moving around a little bit. Basically, yeah. There there might be some information that was invented by a uh, by a tran by someone who was transcribing it. There might have been some, but mostly it's it's just they either took something and restated it or took something from a different part of the Bible and put it in there for okay. whatever reasons. So cool. Uh, do we, well, what are we moving on to next? Sorry. Let's, um, so let's talk about, uh, the Kevin McCarthy thing and then we'll get into, um, all of the, the different clips that we've got. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, what's going on? Uh, Kevin McCarthy was the former speaker of the house of representatives of the United States. So he was third in line for the presidency. Uh, if the president and the vice president were to become unable to do their jobs and to continue on, then the third in line there would be that Speaker of the House. So this person okay. is elected by the 435 members of the House of Representatives. Uh, you, if you are a an American citizen, are voting for your local representative Usually they represent about 700,000 to 750,000 people. Uh, You're well so, represented. <laughs> <laughs> so in my opinion, we need to drastically uh, expand the House. There should be a lot more people in it. But basically what's going on right now is the House has a very slim majority Republican, uh, has a very slim re Republican majority. So I think it's uh, uh, the half of... 200 or 435 is 217 so in order to have a uh have a speaker elected you need to get 218 votes 50 just over 50 percent and so what happened was the speaker uh got elected by a very small and thin majority there's only like five or six more republicans and democrats in the house which is very small in a 435 member body and so as part of that election back in, I think it was January, McCarthy said that he was going to do a, a whole list of things. Well, the biggest on those list of things was he was going to change our process in government from giant, what it's called an omnibus spending bill, where they just throw every penny of spending that the United States government will do for the next year. They throw all of that into one giant bill that... Uh, is like 5,000 pages long. And the reason that they do that is because then it's one yes or no vote uh, for that entire bill. And so that bill will have the will have some horrible, horrendous, you know, abortion money. It'll have, you know, just the worst stuff you can possibly imagine that you would never, ever want your representative to vote on, either Democrat or Republican. Too. <laughs> exactly. But then it's also going to have the uh, promoting puppies and rainbows bill and the, you know, make sure that we give a million dollars to children with bone cancer and, you know, all these other bills that if your representative votes no on it, they can now trot out and say, your representative voted no on the puppies and rainbows bill. Do you want to vote for them in 2020, you know, 2024? No. Vote no on, you know, or vote for the other guy, right? And so... Yeah. Uh, Basically, we've been running our entire country on these giant omnibus spending bills uh, since, I think, 2000, roughly either the late 90s 
or early, yeah, I think it was the late 90s was when the last time we've had an actual so what what what's supposed to happen what what uh McCarthy Drugs didn't do for you. Oh, whoa, 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 time out, time out. There's six, a six, hold on. <laughs> Always a problem, man. It's not it's not your fault. Um it um it's just a deficiency in in uh in I think it disconnects and then it, it like mm. reconnects and then starts just playing from the top. <laughs> that makes sense. All right, so, sorry. Where was I? <laughs> uh, um, uh, omnibus. Yeah, yeah. So, was. so what? Uh, so Matt Gates is the one that's orchestrated the removal of the speaker, and what he agreed to back in January was single subject spending bills. So, if we're gonna have a spending bill and we want to spend money on something, all of the money we want to spend on the military has to be in one bill. All of the money that we want to spend on Social Security and welfare, that's another bill. If we want to spend money on education, that's a third bill. And so what that does, exactly. So now when your congressperson goes and votes on the military spending bill, well, if that includes some truly horrendous stuff, which it always does, we can point that out and be like, why did, you know, I can write my congressman or congresswoman and say, why did you vote for that you know why did you vote for x y and z in this bill it's just the military you should have voted no and worked to get that out of the bill why didn't you do that because that's how the process is supposed to work that your congressperson is supposed to vote no you know de facto vote no on stuff and if they like it you know that's great we'll have it in there but if they don't like it then they need to work to try to take it out right whereas yeah. with the spending with the omnibus spending bills you just throw every they call it pork in politics, it's called uh, pork when you try to add in extra spending for your own district. Because that's where, that's where all this boils down to. Basically, your congressperson is attempting to steal other people's money from other districts and bring that money into their own district. And so if they can bring that money into their own district and build a nice new shiny bridge or build a new theater or build a new... Uh, you know, professional sports arena. So if you can do these things, then the people in your district are going to be happy because they've got jobs that, you know, somebody got hired, somebody's brother got hired to build the bridge. Somebody's brother got hired to build the arena. Somebody's brother works, you know, somebody's mother works at the uh, ticket, ticket stand for the games when they're going to have games there, all those sorts of things. And so every time somebody uses those facilities, the politician is hoping that they get a little bit of goodwill from that. And so that's how we're in the state that we're in today, where we're $30 trillion in debt, because these politicians are attempting to take other people's money from other areas and bring it into their own area, into their own district. Okay. Yeah. So I remember during, uh, it was probably 2020 or something like that, but there was, um, there was a bill that the house, um, uh, at, like put out and announced and i think like um trump said no on it and i wanted to know like why and so there was a bunch of there was a bunch of lines that were like good things but deep tucked out around in there somewhere it was like something about abortion and i was like yep. oh this makes sense and so i was always wondering why um it yeah the omnibus spending stuff is a is like a bad idea because again if you want the good things 
then you have to say yes to that and the bad things. And so now it's going to be a lot. I can I can see why they're not allowing it because it just makes voting on things a lot easier. It makes approving spending a lot easier. Um, yep. It means they're going to have to do a lot more work, though. They're going to have to like put in more hours as our like um, as a representative because they're going to have to do this bill and then debate it and then this bill and debate yes. it and this bill and debate it. But that's what they get paid for, and they're all like millionaires anyway. So like work. <laughs> personally this is this is just my personal opinion this isn't biblical or anything like that my opinion is we need to pay them way more they should all get like a million dollars a year or more but if they take a penny from anybody else that's like a capital offense they're getting you know thrown away for life at the very least Ooh, so like no more lobbying exactly yeah. pay them ridiculously well and then if they take any amount of money to do anything outside of that, then they get you you lock them up for life and throw away the key as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and I think that would solve a lot of our problems. So it's it's so funny, especially conservatives. We we want smaller government. We want less all that. And so when I say pay our politicians more, they you know, conservatives just kind of shudder at that. No, I don't want to pay our politicians more. They need to be paid less. And it's like. Well, yeah, you get what you pay for. If you pay them less and you pay your politicians less, they're going to go and sell their vote to the highest bidder. If we pay them enough that that's ridiculous and that they're really wealthy and some of the, the most wealthy people in the country and tell them that you'll get executed if you take an extra dime on top of that, they'll stop doing it. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. You, you know what I mean, right? Like, again, you get what you pay for. And so... While I don't like Congress, I don't like the fact that they work against my will constantly and spend third, you know, trillions of dollars a year that they shouldn't be. You know, I don't like any of that, but I want them to be paid more in the hopes that we can get them to uh, to take less money from lobbyists. But that's also lobbyists is, are also less of a problem if we were to have more members of the House of Congress. So the 435 number that it's been artificially capped at is nowhere found in the Constitution. So the Constitution, what it says is that the the uh, the House of Representatives should grow and inflate with the population of the United States. But back in the early 1900s, they put a stop to that. Congress itself, with 50% plus one vote, put uh, stopped it from growing anymore, despite what the Constitution provides for. What? Yep. That's crazy. Why is there always like some weird stuff going on like this? That's weird. Be because it preserves their power. So uh, now if if sense. you're already one of the 435 that voted to stop it, then you can't get a 436th and a 437th person that then dilutes your votes. So Oh, okay. That makes yeah. sense. So that's, that's what happened there, I believe. There's a few other reasons for it as well. Uh, it's probably going to restart on the video up there. It just kind of changed for me. So we'll, let's get those out of the way. Sorry, I've been rambling on some other stuff. So we'll uh, we'll get oh, over to the fine. videos. But uh, yeah, right. just a little bit of, of my two cents on politics. Oh, I'm sorry. We were on the we were on the uh, speaker. I'll just finish that up real quick. So uh, because McCarthy wasn't doing the single subject spending bills, Matt Gates, one of the people that started the deal back in January, uh, he got up and he voted uh, no confidence in the speaker, which then brings up a vote to elect a new speaker of the house and so currently we are in the process of trying to elect a new speaker it's going to be very long very complicated and it's going to take quite a long time 
my uh, conspiracy theory. So this is not, I don't, this isn't prophetic or anything like that. I'm not claiming to have any <laughs> prophetic knowledge, but I've got a suspicion that this is going to end with uh, Donald Trump as the Speaker of the House for a certain amount of time. Probably not very long, <laughs> but uh, just uh, keep That'd be it. interesting. He, his name has been brought up a couple times, and uh, it's going to be interesting to keep your eyes open. So uh, listen, listen for that. But uh, yeah, we can we can move on to the uh, to the videos now, and then we'll get into uh, some of the videos that I sent. We'll uh, we'll cover the the war in uh, Israel. The 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 Israel's at war with Hamas. So yeah. uh, just be prepared for that. I don't think there's anything too specifically bloody in the videos that I, that we're going to watch, uh, but there are explosions. Uh, these things really did happen and really had dire consequences for any of the people that were around them. So I just want to state that for anybody uh, before we get into it. If you know, yeah. Well, to... uh, viewer discretion is advised on uh, the on the next upcoming clips as far as uh, the Israel stuff goes. Yeah. They, uh, if you have you know, if your parents or have kids listening or something like that, that, uh, you know, no, yeah, no, you know. no bloodied human beings or anything like that, but there are buildings that get destroyed. And, and so I just want to give people a heads up. Okay. All right. Let's go uh, ahead. And oh yeah, sorry. Just a cliff one. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, recently, uh, so again, this year, uh, compared to every other year that I've been listening to podcasts and been, uh, kind of in that space, this year, there's been a ton of Christians that have just been coming out of the woodworks and getting on some pretty big podcasts. So uh, I'm sure you've heard of Logan Paul. Uh, he's yeah. the, the Vine guy from back in the day, and now he's a boxer or something. I don't know. Um, he has a co-host to his podcast named George Jenko. And in the past, him and George have gotten into fights where... Logan has basically said that he that George needs to go to therapy because of his faith, which was just a you know wildly inflammatory and and uh, just a horrible comment on Logan's part. But uh, so George Jenko has his own podcast that he does, and so he brought on a, a street preacher named At who, who goes by the name of Ask Cliff, C L I F F E A S A S A S K Cliff, uh, and so. You can go find his stuff on YouTube. He pops up all the time in my feed. Uh, he'll be on a college campus talking to a liberal. And it will be a heated conversation, but it will also be a very respectful one. So he's not yelling at them necessarily. They may yell at him. And so he might get a little bit more, maybe animated is the right word. But uh, he never gets mad at anybody or like, you know, not mad in a way that, uh... yeah. So, uh like I said, th this first one's uh, Ask Cliff. Are we about ready to uh, watch that? Yeah. Okay, I just had cool. To close the door really quick. All yeah, right. you're good. You're Let good. Me know Let me. When you are ready for that. We are ready go. to go. Oh, you know, I'm sorry. I'm covering you now. It changes every week. <laughs> so. There we go. There's great production value that we have. <laughs> You can get it started whenever you want. I'm just messing with stuff. Okay. Close All right. In three, two, one. Drugs oh, no, are bad for you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Time out, time out. There's a difference between cocaine and life-saving medication. 
So that's true of medicine. It's also true of church and religion. There is religion that's highly destructive, and most of us have been burned by religious hypocrites. Mm. But in the same way that you don't go to cocaine, instead you go to life-saving medication, you go to church, but you find one that fears God, that stands in awe of God, like you said so beautifully, George. You go to a church where they're not self-righteous, arrogant twits who say, I'm better than everybody else, hope you can be as good as I am. No, church is Christ's hospital, where broken, sick people like me are being healed by the grace of God, by God's Holy Spirit. Religion not tied directly to Jesus Christ can be very destructive. That's why it's so important that we find a Bible-based and Bible-teaching church, and that's why we need to pray for George Jenko and Cliff Nechtel of Ask Cliff. All right, and um, there's a, there's a, th that's funny that, um, that you say that in that video, because there's a, there's a, um, a particular pastor of a of an actual Protestant church that is on K Wave, and um, basically he's he he's like a he's like a glorified motivational speaker that will just toss in a verse here and there. It's oh. like it's very um, man. I I'll I'll tell you after the the podcast, but I'm not trying to fire shots at all. <laughs> but um, yeah, base basically like what I when I go to church. I want to be like taught what the word is and what it means and that's pretty much it and like have historical context and just be rolling through the bible like it's like a like a like almost like a bible study and um, a lot of other people like expository preaching and stuff like that i'm not i'm not the biggest fan um just because like i i, I just have a hunger for information when it comes to like the bible and stuff I, it's uh, I, I don't know the the motivational speaking with a with the bible is like a like a platform is is kind of uh hard for me to swallow <laughs> yeah i i really i really like the verse by verse teaching uh that like pastor bob does at my church and uh yeah that was really popularized by pastor chuck smith um you know That's i really I like that too, yeah because it it won't let pastors avoid the hard the hard stuff right so if a pastor is teaching series, which is what I used to do, where they would do a series on love or a series on service or whatever. So if you're doing a series on stuff, then if you think that a Bible verse is kind of tough or doesn't exactly make the point that you want it to make or any of that kind of stuff, you can just ignore it. And so there's whole swaths of the Bible that people never hear preached on because their pastor just won't ever touch it because they don't want to deal with it or it's tough or they just don't like it or they just don't even think about it. It's not even necessarily a malicious thing. I'm not, again, I'm not throwing shade at any pastors. I don't think anybody's intent, you know, there are some people who are, but most people aren't intentionally trying to do anything wrong, but the, just the nature of teaching based out of random Bible verses that you grab from different places every week leads to you doing things that are going to be incorrect or not teaching on things that God would want you to teach on. Whereas when you go verse by verse through a book or through the whole Bible, um, what you get is all of the hard verses, all of the tough verses that you needed to preach on in addition to everything else. So. Yeah, it's because um, there's, there's always a couple different verses like um, that I can mention. And they're always kind of like, confusing as far as like um what they mean or or some of them there's like some uncomfortable subjects that get talked about in the bible and so um 
I like the pastors that don't um, shy away from that stuff. It's it's a lot nicer to see the boldness there. Amen. Give me one second. Yeah, no problem. So, but yeah, uh, I you know I really enjoy what uh what Ask Cliff has been doing and been up to. Okay, I really enjoy what he's been doing, what he's been up to over on college campuses. I think it's very important that we get out there and we go and we confront those uh, who are not believers. So the biggest places that we have in this country where there's giant groups of mostly unbelieving people are college campuses. So my college campus, my alma mater, it was like 40,000 people that were there back when I attended. And today, I think it's even more than that. And there's not a single church on the entire campus, right? So, that, I mean, most people, that doesn't even make sense. Why would there be a church on a college campus? But the fact is that 40,000 people, it's a small city, okay? And that's not even a small city. It's a large Jeez. city, okay? There's there's towns and there's, like, whole counties that have fewer people than go to Cal State Fullerton. But there's not a single church on that campus. So... You know, I, I've always felt like there needs to be more people going to college campuses, and I, I would love to see there be a movement of, you know, small, like, home church-style churches that crop up on college campuses in this country. It's the it, it's the biggest place of just, it, it, it's, the, it's most icely. You know, college campuses these days are a wretched hive of scum and villainy, if we, uh, we want to think about it for three seconds, right? That's where... We get all of the communism. That's where we get all of the critical race theory. It's where we get all all of the racism and evil that exist in our system today have come from college campuses. So, yeah, it's true, and it's kind of being taught by professors and stuff. So that's that's what's horrible about it. But and not know, even not even kind of get it, right. Yeah, not <laughs> even kind of. It's a hundred percent being taught, and it, it has been created by professors. So where critical race theory and where all of the the modern stuff came from with that is the uh, French academics of the 1970s. And so they poisoned all of academia through a uh, process that they outlined. And it's not biblical, so we don't need to discuss it here, but just know that colleges are evil. And uh, to my <laughs> knowledge, there aren't any churches that actually exist on a college campus. I'm not saying a church just off the campus. I mean, literally, you're wandering around and, you know, your meeting happens in a field on campus one week, and then the next week it's in an open classroom that you find. That's what I mean by a church on a college campus. Oh, you don't mean like a constructed building inside of the campus? No, no. And and churches aren't really buildings. That's a, There's church buildings. There's buildings that churches meet in, but the church isn't actually a building. It's the group of believers themselves. And so anywhere that two or three people are gathered that's where the church is sorry not just any two people where any two or three you know christians are gathered that's where the church is so that's you know we we need to radically change what our idea and understanding of a church is as americans it's not a building it's not a place it's a group of people that you commune with and that you learn about god with and and that is led by a pastor and so like we look at the word pastor it's not talking about a person that sits in a that, that uh, is in a building all day. So, a pastor. Do you know what that word comes from? What what is where the word pastor comes from? Uh, you you told me one time it was like a farming term, like a someone that feeds the the pastures. 
or something so it, like that? Or? Uh, it's a it's another word for shepherd. So a pastor oh, okay. is another word for shepherd, and so they so a pastor is out in the field, literally leading around the the sheep. So they walk wherever the pastor walks. That's where the the sheep would follow, and so you know even the the terms that we use are from a are not building related terms. It's not guy who stands up at the front and speaks to me. That's not what that word means. It means literally out somebody in the field, walking around, leading you to food, leading you to water, leading you to the things that you need to find. And so it's interesting that you know that person now stands behind a pulpit and doesn't ever move. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. All right, so we want to move on to the... Uh, but yeah, so I just love Ask Cliff. Go check out his videos. Uh, he answers all of the tough questions that these college students have for him and usually just tears to pieces their uh, arguments while also doing it with a lot of respect and maybe not always as much kindness as he would need, but uh, always in a very respectful way. He's never yelling at them or overly angry or anything like that, which is really cool. Yeah, I've always seen him like pretty calm, cool, and collective. I think did when it I comes think, to that stuff. I think he would describe himself as being a little bit too angry at some points. I, I think if you go and watch the George Jenko Ask Cliff interview, uh, he he thinks that he's been a little bit too angry at certain moments. I've never seen that in the videos that he shared, but uh, I'm not him, and so he might he knows what he's thinking, what's going on in his head, yeah, better than we do. And in that moment when he's seemingly more calm and collected than we think. He might have been more upset and angry than than uh, than we know. So just keep him in your prayers. Like I said, he's doing the Lord's work, going out and talking to these college students who will not will not get the gospel anywhere else. Okay, there there's certain things like crew that exist on college campuses, but it's a couple hundred people, and most college students never even know that that exists. So yeah, most we just need to be praying for for college students. Yeah, because they're they're really smart, but um, in a worldly sense, and uh, it's I wish they could use that intellect with for the Lord and, uh, and to discover the things that God has for them. Amen. Be really nice. All right, do we want to move on to uh, the other videos? I believe are about the uh, war in Israel. Yeah, let's do okay. that. Okay. All right. So once again, uh, everybody. If your yeah. discretion is advised, we're going to be showing some uh, some buildings being um, fired at. All right. Did you want to say anything before I, I click this? Uh, no, you're good. Sorry. All right. Here we go. From the Washington Post, Israel declares... Oh, let me write wine that really quick one more time. Washington Post, Israel declares state of alert for war after major Hamas attack. My name's Ryan, this is AIIW News. According to the Financial Times, more than 5,000 rockets have been fired at Israel by Hamas. It appears that most of the tensions are happening around the Gaza Strip, right in uh, here over next to the Mediterranean Sea, and that there are injuries in Beersheba from some of the rocket attacks. Pray for everyone in Israel. I've been there. This is a cross that I got from a wonderful person uh, in Bethlehem, a Christian. Just pray for them. Both sides of this conflict, there are many, many innocent people. All right, yeah. 
So uh, that first video actually wasn't a harmful rocket attack. That was the Iron Dome in Israel reactivating. And so you heard, a, I think it was a woman who was screaming kind of in a happy tone. And so Woo! they yeah. were they were very happy that that came back online. My understanding from uh, talking with our uh, pastor, Joe, uh, so he he has a lot of connections in Israel. He lived there for about a year, a year and a half. So uh, he, what he was saying is that for this attack, what Hamas did is they used drones to go in and blow up certain critical infrastructure for the Iron Dome. And so they were able to take it down uh, based on that. And so for a long time, the Iron Dome systems weren't working. And so those 5,000 rockets that got launched were able to penetrate into uh, Israeli territory and do a lot of damage. Uh, fortunately, I don't okay. think that there were terribly many people killed by the rockets themselves. Most people, if not all, have a bomb shelter that is in their uh, either in their house or in their like apartment building, and so they can go down and take refuge there when they get alerts. Uh, but of course, obviously, there was there is some amount of death and destruction from this buildings destroyed and that sort of thing. There these these rockets are are horrible. Uh, so they're basically not much more than like, an uh, they're they're basically just a, a a bomb with a rocket on the on the end, and uh, so what will happen is they they don't have a guidance system, they're not being remote controlled, nobody's directing where these rockets go. They're just launching them indiscriminately, generally towards Israeli targets. Well, sometimes they overshoot is Israel itself, and they let the land in Palestinian territory. And so the Palestinians are, to some extent, rocketing themselves when they launch these rockets. It's horrible. So even those Christians that are in Palestinian territory might still have a rocket land on their house, even though they're in Palestinian territory and not even in Israel itself. It's it's just a mess. So keep keep That's everybody crazy. over there in your prayers uh, on both sides, like I said. There's a lot of people that are terrorists in, in the Palestinian territories, of course, but there's also, uh, my understanding in, in the Gaza Strip specifically, um, there's two million people total, and half of them are children, which is just a, it, you know, it's it's a travesty what, what these parents are doing to their children by, you know, allowing them to live on top of uh, Hamas headquarters. It's It's crazy, so... I feel horrible for everybody involved. So many innocent people, especially women and children. It's it's terrible. So, yeah, that's really unfortunate. We we definitely got to keep Israel in our prayers. That's and, um, yeah. And I actually know uh, some people that are over there. We were able, uh, as part of my tour of Israel with Joe, we were able to go into Bethlehem, and we were able to worship with some Christians that were there on Sunday. It was a beautiful experience. You know, the, these are. Bible-believing Christians in a place where all total Christians are like 1% or less than 1% of the population. So an actual Bible-believing Christian is just the rarest thing in the world there. And uh, it was beautiful getting to worship with them, and I just I feel so terrible. They, at the best times, and I think we've discussed this, they only get water once a week. And this is when they're having good relations, the best relations with Israel that they could have. They get water once a week. So now, as you can imagine, the, the tensions and everything, they're not going to get water for a while. They don't get any electricity from Israel. Uh, oh, no. So it's its just a mess. So just be praying for everybody. 
obviously we don't like what Hamas is doing, and, and that is a huge portion of the population. But there is also a big portion of the population that wants nothing to do with it. So, you know, I always say to keep both sides in your prayers, and, and it's that's the truth. You know, is, Israelis are getting slaughtered and murdered by Hamas, which is horrible. Uh, I think the t- the death tolls from the initial invasion. So they when they what happened was they launched rockets, and then uh, just after or while they were launching the rockets, they sent in uh, troops in by land, by air, and by sea. Actually, so they had these. Do you know what a paramotor is, Austin? When I just when I described that. Basically, it's a it's a parachute, but uh, on the back of it, there's a little like motor that like a fan motor that will give you some power. And so they used those paramotors to fly in hundreds of Hamas fighters into Israeli territory. They used bulldozers and trucks to break down the barricades and then drive into Israeli territory. And they also used uh, ships and private boats to land on the beaches and storm Israeli territory as well. So this was a very coordinated attack. They knew exactly what they were doing. It had been planned probably for months from what we understand now. Um, you know, I, this is this is my conspiracy, so I, I don't want anybody to think that this has been confirmed. So just stating that right now, uh, what I'm about to say next is a bit of a conspiracy. My understanding is that the Israeli intelligence... And Israeli officials actually got word that this attack was going to happen from the Egyptians multiple days in advance. And uh, my conspiracy theory is that I think the Israelis allowed this to happen and allowed it to get worse and to be really bad in order for them to get the good, the uh, basically in order for them to be able to go in and wipe out and take over the Gaza Strip. So... Uh, in order for them to have the permission from the rest of the world to go do that, they needed over a thousand people murdered and raped and killed and, and just, you know, horrible things to happen to Israelis in order to get that permission from the rest of the world to go in and take care of what they think of as a problem. And that's horrible. I, this is a, that's a horrible accusation. So I, I, I don't make it lightly, but from the information that I have seen, which could be completely false. Uh, there's a lot of false information that's flying around there. But from what I have seen, and the other thing is what's being claimed right now is that this is the most catastrophic failure of Israeli and international security, uh, international intelligence ever. Okay, so this is not some like place that nobody was thinking about and nobody knew that there were a bunch of upset people there, right? Like... This is some place that is one of the most guarded, one of the most, uh, uh, basically my understanding is that pigeons can't cross over this border without their heat detection systems and without their video cameras all looking directly at the thing. And so for them to be able to launch an attack while the Israeli defense forces were asleep or something, it just doesn't, it, it doesn't add up. None of it adds up to... Because let's say that they were caught completely by surprise, they still have everything in place 100% of the time in order to be prepared for an attack like this. That you have to. Yeah, but it just mysteriously has like a hole in its or like a like a buffer period in between it that and the attack. Yeah, it's kind of that's kind of sus. <laughs> yeah. So. 
I I think that okay, and and the next video that I have for us to watch gets into this a little this kind of conspiracy stuff a little bit more, and my belief is that the goal of the uh, Israelis is to take over the Temple Mount. And so for a little context for everybody, the Temple Mount is the place where King Solomon built the temple to the one true God, and where, after that one got destroyed, where rebuilt, where there was a second temple that was rebuilt that existed in Jesus' time. And then in AD 70, it got destroyed, as Jesus predicted. So what I believe is going to happen is that there is going to be a third temple that will ultimately be, be built there at some point, I believe the Israelis are going to try to retake that Temple Mount right now. And so that's going to be huge. If they do that, that's going to be a whole big, just complete, uh, lots of war. It's going to be all the countries around Israel attacking them. It's going to be just the most insanity you've ever seen in this world ever. Uh, that's my prediction. Don't know that for a fact. I'm not claiming I'm if like what, a prophet or anything. If they rebuild the temple or if they if they do the Temple Mount? If they do anything, if there is, uh, if there are Israeli boots on the Temple Mount that are doing anything other than what they're allowed to do right now, there's going to be huge problems. So right now, uh, Jews are allowed to go on the Temple Mount, but they are not allowed to stop and pray there. Uh, so what Jews before this is before the pack the not the Palestinians the Palestinians before the Palestinians even started their attack, uh, there were some Jews that were encroaching on the Temple Mount, trying to stop and pray on the Temple Mount. There were Israeli forces that I have heard reports where they were trying to stop Arabs from being able to access the Al-Aqsa Mosque, which is the Temple Mount in, for the Arabs. And so, actually, what the Palestinians named their offensive, they named their offensive Al-Aqsa Storm. And Al-Aqsa is the mosque on the Temple Mount right now. That's the third holiest place in Islam. And so they are positioning this as a defense of the Temple Mount. So the Palestinians claim that they started their attack because the Jews were encroaching on the Temple Mount. And that's a lot of people didn't don't hear this reporting. This is not reported on very much. But the name of the attack is Al-Aqsa Storm, named after the mosque on the Temple Mount. And there's been a lot of tensions around the Temple Mount recently. So as a Christian, I'm keeping my eye there. There's a lot of prophecy in Revelation that will be fulfilled if they do ultimately take that that location. And uh, yeah, so we just need to keep our eyes open to that. And I think we're ready for the next video, unless you have something to say. I was just going to ask, why can't the Jews build a uh, temple at a different spot? So there, the the Jewish people were commanded to build their temple in one very specific spot. And there is no other place that they can worship. That is the only proper place where they can worship and offer sacrifices is on the Temple Mount. And so that goes all the way back to the Old Testament and, uh, you know, what King, King David wanting to build a temple and then King Solomon having built it. That's now the only location. So, like, you go to uh, the New Testament and you see the Samaritan woman. She was asking Jesus, where do we worship? Well, the reason she was asking Jesus, where do we worship, is the Samaritans had a belief that they could uh, worship over on a different mountain where the Jewish people uh, correctly believed that the only place they could worship was on the Temple Mount. So that's all Old Testament stuff. If you want to get into that, I highly recommend it. Uh, you can go check out, uh, I'm not sure which book, but just to do some research 
on the Temple Mountain some Bible verses that uh, pertain to that. So, yeah, if you want to start the next uh, video. All right, let me get that going. Uh, all right, here we go. Hey, you're on mute, so I can't hear you. Uh, okay, let me let me. Um, that was really small. Let me start it over one more time. Okay. Oh wow. It is day four of the fighting uh, going on over in Israel, and my name is Ryan, and this is AIIW News. I'm here to keep you updated on world politics from a Christian perspective. As you saw in the opening video, tensions were high between the Jews and other groups even before the first attack. And what we saw was that they were starting to encroach on the Temple Mount, which is what the Palestinians are claiming is the reason for their attack. And so the Temple Mount uh, to the Muslims is called Al-Aqsa, and that is what they named their raid after. It's called the Al-Aqsa Storm. And so they are saying that they are doing it in order to defend that territory. So we shall see what Israel ultimately ends up doing. I pray that God's will be done. There oh, are two I like kinds the, of people um, in Washington. The I like the, the news music. That's pretty good. Thank you. Thank you. I try to make it as professional as I can. All right. So that um, was... Did the video start playing? Did the next video start playing for you? I, I left the the. Uh, I left it. We're not. I am not in that activity anymore. Okay. So. Well. So they're basically saying that. Uh, do you, do you think it's like a false flag attack, or that they're saying like, oh, they're encroaching on the on the Temple Mount, so I'm just gonna come in uh, and 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 start attacking. So I, a false flag, just to kind of explain to everybody what that is. So a false flag attack is when you attack yourself in order to justify going to war. And so there's been a couple examples oh, okay. of that in United States history. Uh, in the, in the Spanish-American War, to start that war off, there was a ship in, uh, next to Cuba called the USS, I believe it was the USS Maine. And what happened there is supposedly an oven or something, uh, part of the steam part of the ship blew up. I don't know if it was steam, but part of the ship blew up and they blamed that on the Spanish and said that the Spanish attacked. And so once that ship blew up in the, in the chaos that ensued around that, people started fighting. And then ultimately the United States and Spain went to war uh, and that you, you can learn about that in history. Uh, what the, another uh, example of that from American history is the Gulf of Tonkin, and so this was a ship that got blown up over near uh, Vietnam and got us into the Vietnam War, I believe. And so there's been a history of these false flag events that have happened in the United States that lead to us getting into war. What I believe happened is very similar in Israel, whereas I believe that the Al-Aqsa storm, that raid, was entirely independently planned by the Palestinians. I don't think the Israelis went in and set up the raid or, like, paid them to make it happen or anything like that. What I believe is that 
the Israelis got wind of the attack early, and then they let it get really bad. They let them come in and kill a thousand Israelis. They let them come in and kidnap hundreds of women and children. And so they did that because they knew that they could then use that as a reason to take more territory, to get rid of Gaza as a Palestinian stronghold, to what I think their ultimate goal is, is to take the Temple Mount. So, and that's what we see. Okay. And that's what we see happening. At some point, the Jews will have the Temple Mount back. It will be theirs, and uh, there will be a third temple that will be built there. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what the, all the prophecy points toward. Okay, very cool. I'm uh, I'm kind of excited to see what's going to go on in Israel. Um, kind of, I'm, I'm kind of interested to see if they're actually going to uh, push push towards that Temple Mount because yeah, well, okay. Like, um, go ahead. No, no, no. You go. You sorry. I was gonna say it kind of it kind of sounds like um, either either the Al Aqsa storm is like they they kind of know that the Jews are planning this or they're kind of just using this as an excuse to attack. But if if they know that the Jews are planning this, that kind of means that like prophecy mm. stuff is starting that, to like, that, get revealed. So that that's not what I was saying. What I was what I am claiming, just to be very clear, I am claiming the Palestinians completely on their own. Not with, not with Israeli help or anything like that. The Palestinians, without any knowledge of anything except for Jews going onto the Temple Mount and doing things they shouldn't be doing, okay, without any other impetus, the, Jew, the, the Palestinians attacked, and then the Jews let it get bad because they knew it was going to happen. Oh. Does that yeah. make sense? Okay, yeah. so I, I just want to be crystal clear on that because, again, that, that is not confirmed. I'm not claiming that, that I have special knowledge I'm just saying from the stuff that I've seen reported, the thing, the only thing that makes any sense is that the Israelis knew it was going to happen and let it get worse than it should have. Because it was just a complete, uh, none of their defenses worked. Literally none of their defenses worked, and the, the pa Palestinians were just allowed to go in 20 kilometers into Israel. It's just insane. Oh wow! And I I saw that that footage of the the para the para what is it called the para fan para, para motors they're called para, para motors, motors from my understanding. Um, yeah. So the, oh, and the reason why I ordered the videos that way, it started with well, the the video the the building collapsing is just to get views. Uh, <laughs> I'll be I'll be straight about that. But then after that, it had uh you might not have noticed that those were Jews that were spitting at Christians. And so uh, no, I didn't see that that the that was the second one where it was just the people walking down a road. Those were Jews that were spitting at Christians. And in those stories, what we saw buried underneath the Jews spitting at Christian story was that the Jews are going on to the uh, Temple Mount and doing all the stuff that I was that I was talking about. So, uh, you know, part it's all part of the same stuff The the Jews do not like Christians they hate Muslims, and so they're happy to take our money. They're happy for us to go over there and spend money on their tours and at these holy sites and all that kind of stuff. But when push comes to shove, it's when it's their holy days, when it's their when it's that kind of stuff. They don't want to see Christians parading around crosses in their streets, and so that's why some of them started spitting at, at Christians. 
And then the similar groups of Jews also believe that the Arabs need to be kicked out and that they need to retake the Temple Mount. So it's, it's all mixed up there in the same kind of thing. And so that's kind of what I want people to understand about what's going on is that there's a lot of stuff that us as Westerners have just no idea about. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that the, did, did, when you were there in Israel, um, in like the public places where people waving around crosses and stuff like that? Um, not specifically. So what the, the, the video that I was showing is something that it was probably a Catholic group. They were parading a giant cross through the streets and it was probably on or around a Jewish holiday. And so, you know, they weren't happy about it. And, and what we don't understand is how little racism there is here in the United States. So compared to literally the entire rest of the planet, there's basically no racism here. <laughs> like we, we have all of these problems with race, with race relations in the United States, but when it boils down to it, we're one of the most integrated societies on the planet. You go to Israel and there is major, major racism and animosity between the Jews and the Arabs and between the Jews and Christians, and between Arabs and Christians, and just, it's, it's crazy. There is so much horrible racism in that country, and in literally every other country around the world. Because no other place is as integrated as we are. It's, it's great. It's, uh, we live in a have special seen, place. I, I would agree. Um, we are very integrated and, and uh, very accepting of each other. And uh, we made some mistakes in the past, but we're... We're, we're we're better now than we were like 50 years ago. So oh, for sure. But a... <laughs> but even but what's crazy is even 50 years ago, we're still better than what the rest of the world is today. Like <laughs> we might have done things that were horrible, and there were pockets of places that were bad, but it's bad everywhere all the time. <laughs> everywhere else, the only reason that other places don't have the issues that we do is they're more homogenous. So. If you look at China, 99.9% of the, it's probably not that high, but 99% of the population is Chinese. J Japan, 99% of the population is, is Japanese. Germany, up until recently when they started accepting Arab migrants, up until recently, 99% of Germany was German. Same with France, same with England. Okay, so these places, there weren't a whole bunch of, and even the people that were foreigners, it was like, a French guy in England. Can you, if you were to walk around a, cr a crowd, would you be able to spot the French guy and the crowd of English people? No, they basically <laughs> look the same, right? So even so, but there there is still even a whole bunch of uh, racism in those countries because they haven't had to deal with it the way that we have. We have people from every race and culture and creed and religion and ideology, and we all just get thrown into a, a city together and kind of have to work it out. And it actually tends to be pretty pretty good for the most part. Yeah, I I can't imagine like uh, if you're like in uh I mean if you're in a country where it's like Germany where you're all like super pale white people and then you have like Arab immigrants coming there like I wonder how they're getting treated and like if you're in like an Asian country and there's mainly Asian people but you come in there and you're not Asian I wonder how you get treated. Uh, compared to America, where nobody cares at all, like yeah, well for <laughs> like the you just pass down the street and nobody bats an eye that you're Asian or black or brown or anything like that, you know. 
my my understanding is that you're way less likely to be able to become a citizen of those other countries. You might be able to get like a work visa or some ability to stay there on a long term basis, but they're not going to vote. Yeah, you're not going to be able to vote. Your kids aren't necessarily going to be citizens of that country. So we're like the only country or one of the very few countries that has birthright citizenship where you just need to be born in our territory to be a citizen. So like France, they have whole classes of people that have lived in France for generations, but they're not French. Oh, wow. So like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a mess. We don't need to get into all of it, but uh, the, the world's a messed up place. There's a lot of hatred and animosity uh, everywhere, including here, of course. But uh, yeah, just be praying for Israel, praying for everybody there that's involved, especially all the innocent, you know, women and children. Uh, there's and and of course for the soldiers as well. We we don't want anybody to be dying, and and it's a tragedy when anybody does. So just keep them in your prayers. And there's there's good people on both sides, and there's bad people on both sides too. Were there were there like I. I... I'm not really caught up on like the news and stuff like that, but like, were there any kind of like hostages taken or something like that? Oh yeah. Hundreds. It's the, it's, it's the first hundreds. time. Yeah. It's the first time. If not, I might be exaggerating. It's at the very least it's dozens, but I believe it's, it's over a hundred that got taken back. So basically I think Israelis or like, or they got, it's all, all sorts of people. people. So, uh, one of the one of the horrible things those those paragliders my understanding is they paraglided in and then there were some trucks that showed up as well to a a rave that was just happening out in the desert so there was like hundreds of young 20 30 30 year old people that were out you know in the desert doing whatever at a rave and then uh early in the morning all of a sudden these you know, Hamas fighters show up and start murdering people and raping women and, you know, taking women and children, not children, women and like, you know, people hostage. It was nuts. So. What? So is, is Hamas like a private terrorist group or are they like, what is Hamas? So Hamas is the, it's, it's difficult to try to explain the situation. So Israel is a governmental entity that exists. There is a government of Israel. They have a parliament. They function as a government. They, lay, they have taxes. They take those taxes. They turn them into a sewage system, into electricity, you know, into infrastructure that you can actually use to live your day, daily life. That's Israel. Palestinian territory technically has leaders that are over it but they are not acting in good faith as good stewards of their people they are not good governors of that territory so they they will take taxes from the palestinians but they do not provide any services there isn't any water there isn't any electricity there aren't any you know governmental services really to help you but the these people are still taking taxes in the name of a kind of quasi government Okay, and so while there technically is a Palestinian government, it's not really that it's not in control the same way that like the Israeli government is or the United States government is. And so it's a it's a really weird situation. It's horrible. So, uh, okay, sorry, sorry. In this situation, Hamas is a political party that controls the Gaza Strip. It's a political party. Quasi, again, 
that term it might be overly broad or it might be overly narrow to describe them but essentially they're a political party okay they're not like they're not like the the military of of like palestine though yes <laughs> uh, <laughs> i guess it is kind of hard to understand and describe yeah, it, it, again, it is not a solid governmental system like we have here in the United States. The the way that it, one of the best ways it's described is as an open air prison. So the the people that are in Gaza, the people that are in uh the uh West Bank, so that's the the West Bank is an area that's named after the West Bank of the Jordan River. So it's actually in the east of the country of Israel. And so uh the those territories are are not real countries. They're basically where everyone got shoved after Israel came in in 1948. And then, so into Gaza, Egypt basically shoved all of their people that they didn't want, or their, like, poor people, got shoved into Gaza from Egypt. And then all of the poor people and the people that were the worst off from Jordan got shoved into... Uh, the West Bank, and that's where Bethlehem is. And so there's just millions of these people that live in complete poverty but also don't have a historic tie to the land. So you're going to hear, a lot of people will hear stories about how there were all these Palestinians that were forced out of their territory in 1948 to make room for the Israelis. And while there were a few, there there weren't millions and millions of people that were living in territory that we now know as israel back in 1948 it was like some nomadic like sheep herders and like a couple hundred other families okay but today what we see is that there's like six million or seven million palestinians in the gaza strip and in the west bank so i think there's a total of two million in uh the gaza strip so that's specifically where the problems are existing today is the gaza strip so it's, okay. it, you know, it's a, it's a whole complicated mess. Uh, the people on the Palestinian side will claim that there were, they'll make it sound like there were millions of people living in what is today Israel that got moved and relocated. Uh, there are millions of people today that are in those areas, but it's, it's not as simple as they were Palestinians. There was no Palestinian state before, ever. There's never been one. Uh, since they were the Philistines, and and these people aren't related to the Philistines at all, they're uh, they're completely different people. But I believe the word Palestine comes from the Roman version of the word Philistine. Oh, okay. Just so for... this Gaza Strip area was just kind of a place where everybody kind of got shoved because they were like seemingly like either unwanted or poor or something like that. Well, they were they weren't Israeli. So, so it was just Israel, like a displacement. So Israel got given back to the Jews, and so Jews were going to be the ones that that got all of the good land in Israel, and then those that were living on that good land, they didn't have anywhere to go. And Gaza Strip and West Bank are the two places that they ended up. Because the the problem for these people is that they're not they are not citizens of another country. They are citizens of no country, and so what do you do with them? is the is the real problem yeah so i i see i'm kind of looking at a map here yeah everybody that's like it's like the uh 
it's like a kind of like the western side of uh of israel here yeah what do you do with them that's a that's a good point and, and so, so like it's not if you look at the here i'm trying to bring up a map for our viewers if uh Uh, if you look at the map, um, so on, uh, if you, here we go. So this map right here, it's not the best, but it's what I could get. So if you look oh, up at the kind of the middle of the screen, it says the word Gaza. So right there, there's a little tiny strip that's just slightly different colored from the rest of Israel. And if you look, that strip borders with Egypt. And so there is a crossing from the Palestinian territories into Egypt, an Arab country controlled by Muslims. And so Egypt could open up that gate and let people and refugees in to come into their country. But Egypt's got a lot of its own problems. You know, these people are some of the most uh, armed and dangerous people on the planet, unfortunately. Some of them, not all Ooh. of them, most the people from Gaza. Oh wow! They, okay, they're they're some of the most armed people. Yeah, they had five thousand rockets that they launched indiscriminately at Israel, <laughs> and okay. they've had that... you know fifty years of weapons stockpiles. That so the biggest problem that that Israel has with Gaza that it doesn't have with the West Bank. So I'll show you the map of the West Bank here. So, uh, I don't know if you can see my cursor or not, everybody, but the West Bank is uh kind of up here in the it's really the middle of the country but the west bank doesn't have i'm gonna find a better image sorry just type gaza strip i, I found a good picture here we go okay that's better all right so the west bank here what you'll notice is that the only water that it borders is the dead sea and the jordan river uh whereas the gaza strip is right on the mediterranean and so because the Gaza Strip is on the Mediterranean, you can use boats and you can use uh, different tactics to get uh, arms and explosives into the country that you can't use in the West Bank. So anything that comes into the West Bank has to go and cross land, which is a lot easier to track and uh, to take care of, if that makes sense. I see. Yeah. And so the Gaza Strip is where most of the rockets come from. It's where there's a lot of... You know, they had hundreds of people that they were able to arm and break into Israel from the Gaza Strip. And it specifically came from there, I believe, because of the access that it has to the ocean. And so Israel would love to take this land back, A, so they can settle it, but B, so that those you know uh, Hamas fighters stop getting as many weapons uh, to, to launch at them and launch rockets at them. Okay, so I'm starting to understand, but it's still uh still it's, like a little bit complicated. So nobody's in control of the Gaza Strip right now. Not a traditional government the way that you would expect here in the United States. It so is wh Where does any amount of funding come from? <clears throat> all sorts of different sources. Lots of uh, what are called NGOs that stands for non-governmental organization. So those are organizations that you would think are set up to aid and give like humanitarian aid to places like Gaza. Uh, so the, they're they're helping out. There's also governments like the United States, uh, Germany actually, which is we're not looking so good at the moment, gives a lot of aid to the Palestinians. 
the reason it's not looking good for Germany is Germany basically just funded the killing of the Jews to a certain extent. Uh, not yeah. a good look for them. But, uh, yeah, even the United States government sends some amount of aid over into the Gaza Strip. So, it's it's tough. It's oh, and complicated, so, yeah. So, yeah, like, you can see the outline of the West Bank over here. And you see this, it juts into Jerusalem and then kind of yeah. comes back out. So Jerusalem is like a 10-minute drive to Bethlehem. And in between Jerusalem and Bethlehem is two basically different countries. It's, it's pretty crazy crossing that border. Uh, it's you, you go from... Say that again? In between where and where is like crossing two different countries? Jerusalem to Bethlehem. So Bethlehem, okay. the house of... Uh, the house of bread, the the basically the place where where David City is not in control of is not controlled by the Israelis. It's pretty crazy. Oh, I see. And so uh, the, okay, okay. On the map I'm showing, I don't know if you can see it, but you can see Jerusalem is in control is controlled by the Israelis, and then just over that border, just down the road, is Bethlehem, and that's controlled by uh by the Palestinian. That's a Palestinian territory. And you were able to. Get, go into Bethlehem? Yeah, so again, it's not a completely different country. That's why I'm not say, stating it as such. It's quasi under the jurisdiction of the Israelis, but also quasi not. It's a very complicated situation. Okay. So, uh, well, I'm I glad you got there and you were safe getting back, man. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's if this... I I was only there like two or three months ago. It's it, the there's Americans that were there while this was happening. You know there were tours and it could have been me, which is the other really you know praise God that I that it wasn't. But uh, it's pretty crazy that it could have been. Yeah, I I really want to go, but that's like I feel like I'm rolling dice a little bit going to Israel, man. <laughs> I yeah. I understand that, and and right now, if you were there, there would be a lot of problems uh, with you getting back. But the likelihood of you actually getting injured or killed or anything like that is very low. Again, the 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 problem was is that I think Israel just got way too comfortable, and and I think that it was kind of on purpose. Again, my my own opinion, not not anything rooted in biblical fact or anything like that, but uh. You know, they they were getting really comfortable. Why are you having a rave that's basically within spitting distance of the Gaza Strip? You know, you're you're just yeah. ask, you're just asking for problems at that point. So, like, I never went anywhere near the Gaza Strip. The farthest south that I ever went in Israel was uh, Jerusalem, I believe, or Bethlehem, technically. Were you, were you like in Tel Aviv or something? So you fly into Tel Aviv, which is over on the coast. Uh, so Tel Aviv is uh, over on the coast, kind of up in the middle of the country. Uh, and then you just drive into Jerusalem. Uh, that's just a straight, you know, pretty quick trip. And then, But the, we spent the first part of our trip up in the Sea of Galilee, which is the very far north. So where we were at, we were more likely to have problems with uh, what's called Hezbollah, which is another terrorist group that exists to wipe Israel off the map. Uh, they're mostly out of Lebanon. Okay. So, but again, the likelihood that you actually get hurt by any of this is much less than... It, it's it's way less safe to spend the weekend in Chicago than it is to go to Israel, even now. 
even with an actual war going on, it's probably more safe for you to be there than in Chicago. Okay. That's okay. So it's, it's horrible. It's a tragedy. Obviously lots of people have, have been upset by this and it's a, it's a horrible catastrophe in every way you look at it. But, uh, but yeah, so just keep everybody in your prayers. Um, as I said in the video and I held up the cross, uh, I got that cross from a man in Bethlehem who runs a church and the, the, it was, it's a beautiful story the, They make those crosses by actual Christians in Bethlehem. Uh, and then they kind of sell them, uh, for, for some, for some money and, for, uh, you know, it's kind of, cause they don't have a lot of jobs that they can do in the Palestinian territories. It's not a functioning society the way that, that it is here. So there's a lot of people that are just looking for stuff to do, looking for work, ways to make money, and that was one of the ways that they ended up doing it. So I got a couple uh, crosses from where Jesus Christ was born, and it's just kind of it's it's really special that I have them now that that such horrible things are going on, and at any moment they could have a rocket land on their house, which is you know just horrifying. Yeah, that's unfortunate. We definitely got to keep them in our prayers and pray that some Muslims come to Christ as well and just pray for the fullness of the Gentiles and that the Lord raptures his church. I'm so excited. Amen. I feel like we're I feel like we're just like every other generation that uh um says we're going to see Christ in our lifetime, but I actually believe yep. it. <laughs> uh yeah, well, especially with Israel being back in the land at all, but now if they don't get it with this uh at this point, the 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 Israelis are very close to figuring out how they can actually take back that Temple Mount without getting completely wiped off the map by everybody else, and and I think we're going to see that happen. Again, pure speculation, not prophecy or me speaking prophetically. I just can't say that enough. I don't want anybody to be confused. Uh, you know, I think at some point in our lifetime that that temple is is built because. Basically, my understanding is once they get control of the Temple Mount back, they can very quickly get a new temple constructed in a matter of a couple months, maybe even a couple weeks, depending. They have all of the materials off-site. They've got all of the implements ready to go. They're, they are champing at the bit, waiting for the opportunity to be able to go and build that temple. Yeah. The, uh, I'm excited the for it, man. Another bit of information that I learned is that uh, one of the high-ranking Israeli military officials, I believe, and again, I, I don't understand the Israeli government enough to know this for a fact, but I believe that the uh, the person in charge of all of Israel's uh, security and defenses, like militarily, is a very uh, 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 very focused on retaking the Temple Mount. That's my understanding, is that... Basically, the reason he wants this position is so that he can put the country in a position to, to do that. So okay, keep your eyes keep your eyes open. If you hear anything Temple Mount related, Al Aqsa, uh, it's also called the Dome of the Rock. So if you hear any of those things, you hear it being attacked. You hear uh, you know Jews being on the Temple Mount or being near Al Aqsa. That's going to be a very uh, very important sign to keep your eyes out for. That'll mean some big, big, big stuff is happening. Bigger, bigger even than uh, the Jews being back in Israel. So. Okay. Exciting yeah. stuff, man. Definitely. And uh, we're right here up at two hours, so I don't know if, if we got a whole lot more time or if there's anything else we wanted to discuss. 
No, I got to get ready for work. I got to get okay. out of here. Cool. Well, I'm glad that we could make this happen, and I always enjoy our conversations, these faithful dialogues. Yeah, it was a it was a good episode. I liked uh, I liked talking about everything that we did. We had some good Bible conversations and got to cover the Israel War. I'm really excited to see what's going to happen and what's going to unfold as far as prophetically and stuff like that. So, yeah, yep, definitely keep your eyes open. Be in prayer. Pray for Israel. Pray for uh, the Palestinians that are being affected wrongly by all this. And and just uh, you know, God's always got His hand over in protecting Israel. And and whatever happens to them is is part of what god's plan was and and i know he'll take care of them so yeah all right everybody it's been a wonderful week if you want to check us out you can check out all of our stuff over at faithfuldialogues.com and uh hope you keep tuning in every week we have a lot of fun making it i know it's one of my favorite uh, times of the times of the week i get to hang out with my friend austin talk about the bible two of my favorite things so <laughs> Awesome. I, I really enjoy this as well. This is a really good time. I always leave this super pumped and feeling really good. And um, I look forward to the next episode. Hope you guys are enjoying the content. Yeah. And if you have any questions about anything, uh, about the Bible, about politics, about the war over in Israel, just uh, feel free to ask them. I'll do my best to answer. Uh, I've, you know, I, I really enjoy politics and all that. So a lot of fun for me. to. All right. All right, everybody, have a great week. Goodbye. Have a great week. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Bye-bye. Yes, repent and believe. <laughs>